the drink of choice tonight? Well, you know, I, I'm not promoting it, but I like some old cold beer. I think I'm going to have one. I'm not promoting it now. Now, who was that? Oh, come on, really? I'll play it for you one more time, but that's unacceptable if you don't know that voice. Coach, I asked you what the host of this party was going to be serving up today. What's the drink of choice tonight? Well, you know, I, I'm not promoting it, but I like some old cold beer. I think I'm going to have one. I'm not promoting it now. Come on. I, is that Pittman? Yeah, of course it's Sam Pittman. Who else would yeah. it be? Who else sounds like that? No, <laughs> I'm a good old boy. I like me some cold beer, which is very relatable, by the way, especially to the Arkansas fan base. So I don't hate that. I love that. Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. They look good. That's a nice win. That's a good win. That's a good Cincinnati football team. Uh, pretty impressive by them. Um, there was some interesting week one stuff going on out there, and, oh and I'm gosh. sure we'll jump into it. But we have to pay off that text message because I think there's some interesting things in there. Now, I how they worded it, I don't necessarily know what the heck they're talking about, but I think it can lead us into some conversation about our secondary play. Do you have it up? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. I'll, hopefully I will, but there's just so many texts that roll through here. If you it, lose your yeah, place, it's a little bit difficult. It said something about he's concerned about playing zone coverage with our corners, and then he said, I don't think they're good enough to play man-to-man or something like that. So I okay. don't really – Here it is. Okay. okay. It's first about Brad Wills. My only concern is the coach's choice to play zone with the corners on the defense. I'm not sure if they're good enough to play man-to-man. Teams might eat us alive on the short and medium passes. I'd love to see how we stop the run. Well, here's the thing. Every defense that you run – no matter what it is, has strengths and it has weaknesses, okay? And what we ran mainly Saturday, a lot of quarter-quarter-half stuff, strength, you have plenty of help over the top, weakness, it puts a lot of stress on the underneath zone players on the shorter routes. So you have there's, there's a give and take there. And we had a very small list of, of calls that we were going with Saturday, which is fine. That'll expand as the year rolls on. Um, you know, man-to-man doesn't necessarily keep people from hitting short routes on you. Uh, yeah, you can play co- closer, but what does an offense do if you play tight man-to-man? Well, they run pick routes. They line up in bunch to where you can't run tight. You have to zone it off and play zone to it. Uh, you, you know, there's there's a bunch of different things that an offense does. It's not as easy as just say, let's play man here, let's play zone here. You know, and we talked about this. This is one of the things that I've hit on quite a bit. Brent Venables, in his zone coverage, asks a lot of the underneath players, and that's typically the linebackers. What the linebackers did with the previous defense was spot drop. Okay? Now they have to pattern read. It's a totally different way of doing things. And it's still a work in progress for those guys. They're still learning how to relate to receivers, how to pass off routes, how to have vision on route concepts, see through, 
number three to number two, see through number two to number one, uh, have depth, play, make everything be thrown in front of you, rally up and squeeze and vice tackle, which I thought they did a really good job of on Saturday. It's a work in progress, but with what we were playing Saturday, you're giving up some things, and there's not a problem with that. You're, you're, you're going to allow some throws in, in whatever defense that you're in, so it's not something that you need to panic about. Yeah. I thought what they did was, was end up being really good. Yeah, um, got UTEP in a lot of third and longs on Saturday, which I really liked. And, you know, I, I guess we're accustomed to seeing third and threes, third and twos, third and fours. Saw a lot of third and nine, third and tens. There's like a third and 26 that was out there. Uh, maybe gave up a few more third down conversions than you wanted, but I thought for the most part on first and second down, that defense was pretty good, man. Like UTEP had negative rushing yards in the third quarter. So all things considered, we, we shouldn't have expected it to be perfect, and it wasn't perfect on Saturday, but it's still pretty dang good, man. It was still pretty dang good. And UTEP had to hit a couple long field goals even to get to the 13 that they got to. So they got to 13 points on Saturday, which I'll take that, but UTEP really kind of had to earn that as well. And that touchdown drive, there were some uh, questionable calls that uh, were made on a couple pass interference calls. Yeah, yeah. The point is, the 13 points that UTEP got, I think that's a pretty good number for week one. And nothing came easy for UTEP on Saturday. Nothing. They had to earn 13 points against that OU defense. Nothing was easy. No doubt. No doubt about it. Yards per play, statistically, for Oklahoma was excellent. Um, And that comes back to tackling, letting no big plays get out. I think their one touchdown drive was, what, a 15-yard or, excuse me, 15-play drive, which is, you know, nothing came easy. They had to work for every bit of it. You know, we had a couple of penalties that cost us, which is fine. That stuff's going to happen. Um, all in all, positive. And I would like to give it up to myself, Tyler. My number, I, I picked that UTEP was going to score 13 points. Come on, man. Uh, you did. Can I give it up to myself? Can this be the give it up to myself segment? Sure. You asked me last week a bunch of random questions about the game. Uh, I did pick uh, Dylan Gabriel, rushing touchdown, first touchdown of the season. No big deal. Oh, no big you deal. did. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I was waiting for a text or a phone call or something this weekend. It didn't happen, but that's okay. You know. Wow. You to totally, totally passed over that. Uh-huh. Nicely right. done by you. Thank you. Um, so you still feel good, though, about uh, Eric Gray being the leading rusher? Because well, i got to tell you, now, Marcus Major looked pretty daggum good. He only had seven carries. He had half the carries and half the yards, but he did have the two touchdowns. Oh, and we're just going to leave out Javante Barnes, who no? almost killed a man in the fourth quarter, though he did fumble the ball. No, um, so I actually wanted to get into running backs because I think it's fascinating. Now, there's this sentiment out there by some that OU doesn't just have a super special back this year. I, what I heard on Saturday night by some is, well, I mean, it's obvious. They don't have an Adrian Peterson or a DeMarco Murray back there. And you know how they do. They end up listing like huh. the five best running. Yeah, Billy Sims, he was great. Yeah, Joe Washington, yeah, he was great. Well, no kidding. Like, at no point this offseason did anyone say that any of those guys were to the caliber of Adrian Peterson or DeMarco <laughs> Murray or anything like that. Like, no, duh, they don't have one of those guys. We never thought that. 
But I felt collectively as a group, especially Eric Gray and Marcus Major, bring some different things to the table. And I think as a duo, I'm pretty impressed with what they were able to do on Saturday. Yes, one of the five best running backs in OU history is not back there this year. That's not going to happen. But I feel like right. that's a pretty good one-two punch that they have at this point. Yeah, that is that is interesting. You really, you honestly heard that? Yes. People saying that? Well, they don't have a DeMarco Murray or Billy Sims or, yeah, DeMond Parker's good too. And then uh, who else? Yeah, I mean, there's just Joe Mixon. Ain't no Joe Mixon back there. Yeah, it, really? Thanks for the update. Never I don't know. I, I guess I'm not so quickly going to dismiss that they don't have a great running back on the roster right now. I'm not I, – I, we didn't see anything in week one that made you think, oh, my God, this is – this is going to be unbelievable. This kid is amazing. I thought Javante Barnes kind of knocked on the door of that a little bit. Now, it's late. Um, the game has been, as you said, played on the surface of the moon. You uh, the, you've been you worn out. I wish he was playing the surface of the moon. I wish he was playing on the moon. I wish. People would have uh, stayed longer. Uh, that's funny. Yes, the surface of the sun. Jeez. Um and you had to tackle Eric Gray and Marcus Major all day long, and then Javante Barnes gets to check in the game when everyone's worn out, uh, totally fresh. So that does, you know, factor in with how he ends up looking. Uh, but he does have some pop, and he can move really well. Uh, he's super, super active. I don't know. I liked what I saw. I saw a couple of things from Eric Gray that were – Excellent. couple of moves in the hole. Like yep. when a backer would have him one-on-one, he'd make a quick sudden move to the side, totally make that guy whiff and, you know, rack up some extra yards after that move. So, I, no, I, I liked what I saw. From I him. loved that six-yard touchdown run by Marcus Major, which I think was his second touchdown. Anyway, yeah. it was a six-yard run where, you know, he had a decent hole that opened up. And I think he made first contact, maybe at like the two-yard line, the one-and-a-half-yard line. But he showed me on that play exactly what I was hoping that I would see from him in game one, which is just that he is a thumper, low-to-the-ground type of runner, tough to bring down one-on-one, very powerful back. I feel like most backs in that situation, Teddy, you know, it they got the ball at the six-yard line. And most backs get four-and-a-half, five yards on that play, which is a nice play. You get two or three more opportunities to get it in from the one-yard line. And if Marcus Major isn't in on that play, OU probably punches it in on the next play. But he's so violent when he runs, he makes contact, and it was loud, like right at the Mm one-yard line maybe. I I don't remember exactly where it was. The point is he finds himself in the end zone where I don't think a lot of people would have. That six-yard run that he had showed me – exactly what I think that he's going to be as a running back and what we all thought he was going to be, which is a very violent runner. Right. Yeah, no, I um, I agree with that, and I think it's a, a really nice compliment. They, I think they're both physical. Eric, it's not like Eric Gray is a scat back. He, I think he's more physical this year than he's been in the past. Uh, he's put on some good lean muscle mass. Uh, I think his lower half is is stronger, more impressive. 
and he's got more shake. When Now, when Marcus Major is in there, he's trying to run right over the top of you. And I think those two things end up complementing each other really well. And I like that, that play they ran to Eric Gray in the passing game, you know, kind of sifting out that little trail route he ran was really nice. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything on Saturday because DeMarco was pretty consistent all offseason. Like, no, nah, this is Eric Gray's running back room. I didn't see anything to change that. I, I mean, I, I think Marcus Major definitely garnered more carries. Seven carries, and you got a 7.7 yards per carry. Like, that's that's pretty good. Um, but I don't – I think Eric Gray's still your number one back going into week two. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Um, and Gabriel, man, I, I did not expect him to be a statue out there. But – He's he, got more shake. He and got he a little is, bit more shake than I thought, and it, it looked good pulling and, it. And he's nifty whenever he he pulls that exchange. It's really difficult oh, to see, isn't it? He juked out that dude from UTEP on that first touchdown run. No chance. Yep. And and is it nice to see that the deep ball is back with the OU offense? First play of the season, they try to go deep to Mims, and then I think the third play of the season, they go, they do go deep to Mims, and they hit on it for a big play. Oh, yeah, it was refreshing. Well, you know, the other thing that is, I think, is pretty telling is they could have continued to go to that if they wanted to, and they didn't, you know? Yeah. So I think they were, I think they were holding back for, for good reason, you know? And I also think there's a reason we didn't see Jaden Gibson very much out there, you know? I, I, I don't think you want to start to give people a reason or time to start developing a plan for how to defend a weapon like him secret weapon is that what he is well it's the only reason i could think Uh, that a guy you've talked about all offseason barely gets any time at all at the end of the game come on say it with me oh hell we ain't showing Jaden gibson till texas ain't showing nothing um till texas you know what a really crappy pick was on friday like a really crappy pick lsu um, well, yes, that, but picking Jaleel Farouk as the leading receiver on Saturday. Yeah. One catch for nine yep. yards. That was that was not great. I would not worry about that. I think he's he's going to have his moments for sure. I got to bounce sure. back this week. That was a tough He'll loss. He'll bounce back. He will bounce back. He will bounce back. Uh, Kent State, they went out, played Washington. Got it handed to him pretty good by Washington. I watched a little I, bit of that game really late. I saw Michael Penix Jr. throw a couple touchdowns and said, all right, I've seen all I needed to see. I'll right. uh, catch back up on, on Monday. But, you know, they're they're staying uh, – they're practicing at Tulsa Union – or just Union this week. What do you mean they're practicing at they're, Union? That they sent out a – go look at their Twitter page. Thank you to Union for allowing us to use their facility all week long. Huh. So what am I missing? Are they just not going to class all week? I I, I don't know when their classes start. I have no idea, but I, I guess not. Huge thank you to Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for allowing us to use their facilities while we stay in Oklahoma this week. Hashtag the hunt. Hashtag be the alpha. Wow. And there's so a team they... pick with them at the 50. 
They flew directly from Washington to Tulsa and are now staying there to practice to play Oklahoma. <laughs> I that's it. am I the only one that thinks that's weird as it, hell? It is weird, and I thought at first, well, okay, it's maybe a cost cutting measure, but you know, putting your team up for an entire week as opposed to just flying back to your home, like that's not a cost cutting measure. So I don't understand that move at all. Unless they're camping out yeah. somewhere at an RV park, they may be doing that to save money. And maybe, maybe they don't start school until there are some schools that start way later than others. So I, I don't know. That's wild. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Keep hitting the text line six five one three four three nine. We'll be back hanging out at Newcastle Casino today. I forty four exit one zero seven. Football, you love it, we love it, you live it, we live it, you need it, we got it. Nobody covers college football better. The Rush, right here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Breast cancer is not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis, and neither is the treatment. Norman Regional's Dr. Caleb Barnard understands this. As one of the only fellowship-trained breast surgeons in the state with a hidden scar certification, patients can have confidence in their care. With compassion and clarity, Dr. Barnard works with her patients to determine the best treatment plan for them. To learn more, call 405-307-2623 or visit normanregional.com. Tickets are now available for the 2022 Oklahoma soccer season. Head coach Mark Carr and the Sooners are excited to welcome back Sooner fans to John Crane Field as they host eight regular season matches this fall. 2022 season tickets are available for as low as $40 and group tickets are available for just $5. Don't forget about the One Pass with access to over 80 home events throughout the year. Visit Soonersports.com or call 405-325-2424. Boomer Sooner. Electric cooperatives don't just generate power, they generate ideas. At Oklahoma Electric Cooperative, we never stop thinking of ways to help everyone become more energy efficient. We invest our resources in technologies that build a brighter tomorrow for all Oklahomans, like our addition of Norman's first solar farm, the OEC Solar Garden. We pride ourselves in finding and creating solutions for today and tomorrow. Your trusted energy advisor, Oklahoma Electric Cooperative. I'm attorney Jordan Klinger of McIntyre Law. The FDA requested a recall of all ranitidine products commonly known as Zantac. Zantac was found to potentially cause cancer in the bladder, throat, liver, pancreas, and stomach. If you are one of the 15 million Americans that has used Zantac, you might be entitled to compensation. At McIntyre Law, we are committed to obtaining full justice for our clients. Contact McIntyre Law at 405-917-5200 or visit us at McIntyreLaw.com. You might know that State Farm agent Cindy Nasher has great service. Cindy is your good neighbor after all. But did you know that State Farm has surprisingly great rates too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Cindy Nasher has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Norman. So call State Farm agent Cindy Nasher at 405-307-0500 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. When a parent struggles with addiction or dies from a drug overdose, what happens to their children? Far too many end up in foster care, unable to ever return to their birth homes because it's simply not safe. 
The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is fighting the clock so that teens don't age out of foster care, leaving them at a higher risk of addiction and other negative outcomes that can happen to a child without the love and stability of a permanent family. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Wake up with Toby Rowland. Not much to talk about, but we'll figure out a way to cobble our way through three hours. And T.J. Perry. <laughs> what a bomb. <laughs> what a complete bomb. The T-Row in the morning show. It's what a sports show sounds like when people remember to have fun. When I was at Channel 9, T.J. would see that I was on a live shot somewhere during a newscast. He would text me or call me while Typically, I was I would on call. the air. I would call, yeah. Just so I would feel my phone vibrating in my pocket and distract me while I was trying to do live award-winning television. That's what kind of a jerk I have to work with every day, folks. So many of those nights I was in the cross-eyed moose and I'd yell at everyone in the bar, Hey, watch this! Watch the TVs! And you would see your hand go down to your pocket. <laughs> I got to the point where I'd ask my camera cameraman to hold my phone because TJ's going to call me during this live show. <laughs> Jerk. T-Row and TJ on the home of Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Here's the snap. Placement down. Kick on the way, and it is blocked, and it hits the crossbar. No good. And Florida State going to survive this one 24-23. to Yikes. Tough loss last night for LSU. And nobody in the state of Oklahoma... Felt bad for the Bayou Bengals. They missed the extra point as time expires to lose to a Florida State team that ha- has not been good in a while. Um, that was the craziest game of the entire weekend. And I think the one staffer, or at least the first staffer, that left Notre Dame to go with Brian Kelly to LSU was the special teams coordinator. And their left side of the line on that PAT just got absolutely crushed. That was brutal. That is about the worst way you could ever lose a game is you somehow, despite not being able to move the ball at all, not being able to capitalize on anything, go down the field, score a touchdown as time expires. We're going to overtime, baby. As as strange as this thing has been, we got a chance to win this football game. And dare I say cover? Yeah, that's what I was worried but about. No. But no. Blocked extra point. Mm, mm, mm. Brutal. And Kayshawn Booty, their star wide receiver, has scrubbed his Instagram of all uh, LSU photos. So, already getting steamy down there in Baton Rouge. I can't believe that these are the types of stories that we talk about in 2022. However, here we are. What do you? What do? You, what does that mean? What are we talking about? Uh, I, I apparently he he dropped two touchdowns last night. One hit him right in the blank in jersey, and he couldn't come up with it. And he's supposed to be an all-American receiver, so I don't know what he's trying to scrub. He was the scrub last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Uh, you know who was loud? Else? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, anything else? Are you kidding me? It was an incredible weekend, and I actually did love the tweets that. And, and I fall in this camp of worrying about, you know, we're going to ruin college football with the new playoff and NIL and everything that's going on. 
and then we actually play the games, and it's man, it, it, it's 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 still it, even with all the changes, it's still awesome. And there were so many games that were still awesome this weekend. The biggest statement to the, to me though, man, is you know I thought Georgia would beat Oregon, but I thought Oregon would at least be a little you know they would be in the thing at least in the second half maybe. Georgia not only won that game, they won it forty nine to three, and Stetson Bennett, man, he looked like a he looked like a baller on Saturday. Oh, no. Making some plays with his feet, throwing it across the field for a touchdown. Uh, 25 of 31 for 368, two touchdowns, no picks. Georgia, like, really, that was the team that, that popped out to me this weekend. Yeah, that was uh, kind of scary, frankly, uh, with what you saw from Georgia. Really impressive. Oregon got nothing rolling at all. Brutal. Brutal beatdown, and I do kind of feel like we're about to witness the same thing this week with Alabama against Texas. Now, I don't know. Maybe Texas finds a way. You know how it is. Big games. To cover the 20. Well, if you can actually grab their attention that, you know, they they can show up and play decent in big games. We've seen that from time to time. Um, what they did with LSU in 2019, they played Georgia in that Sugar Bowl, the way they play Oklahoma every year, right? The big games typically are not their problem. It's not that they always win those big games, but they they play better than they do week in, week out because, you know, those are actually worthy of their attention to show up and play. So you may actually see a little something from Texas against Alabama, but all right. The way I'm I'm thinking about this thing is Nick Saban is like this is a strategic recruiting football game where you gotta prove a point to everyone in the state of Texas who's in charge. Right? Yeah. Right, who actually owns the state. And I feel like, you know, you've got a former former coordinator for you. That's been kind of uh, in one form or another using Alabama to to gain credibility with where he's at now, using the success of some of Alabama's players to to get him some cachet in the recruiting world. Well, this is uh, Nick Saban and Alabama's opportunity to absolutely trample that yeah no and and i will definitely ou fans will definitely hear your point that they play better in the big games um i i think though that this one is different this time around because lsu ended up being a great team that won a national championship but i i feel like they didn't really know what they had when they played in austin in week two in 2019 and lsu like the main point is lsu doesn't strike the fear that alabama does like i think mentally Texas is going to completely bow down to this Alabama team and just get run. They're a 20-point dog at home, man. Like Steve Sarkeesian said today when asked about the Alabama game, he said, you know, well, my goal is to be in Dallas on December 3rd, and the game against Alabama has no impact on that. Factually, that is true with what he's saying. But how weak when you're asked about that game to say, well, my goal is to be in the Big 12 championship game, and this game doesn't impact that. That doesn't sound like a staff that's like mentally ready or gearing up to have a you know loud performance that signals to everyone in the country that Texas is back. 
that's not really a head coach who thinks his I, – I, I, I hated that comment by Steve Sarkeesian. I think it's weak. Well, I guess I don't know the context of that statement. I don't know what question was asked of him. But from the way it sounds and what I like, the way I take it, it's pathetic. <laughs> it's like you're already conceding that you're going to get destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, like this game doesn't matter. This I mean, whatever happens doesn't matter. Our goals are a little bit, you know, down the road. Okay. Oh, but come on, this is college football. I'm told by people that don't want the playoff to expand that it's the best regular season and it's going to devalue the regular season. Well, here's a coach saying that. Well, this game just flat out doesn't matter. We're trying to go to the Big Twelve Championship game. So, Jeez. whatever. I um. Uh, so so Texas is a twenty point dog on their home field, which is funny in itself. So, like, as a, as a comp, there's another game this weekend where someone is a 20-point dog. It's Marshall playing Notre Dame. <laughs> so the gap between Marshall and Notre Dame is equal to that of Texas and Alabama, at least by the betting lines. Mm, seems curious to me. I think they are maybe overestimating Texas's offense a bit. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. I Frankly, I didn't see Texas play. I don't know really what to expect of them. I didn't see Alabama play, but I've seen Alabama play a lot, and I, I already know what to expect from them. We all know yeah. what to expect from Alabama whenever they play. So they're – their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback had, what, six touchdowns? Um, their defense pitched a shutout. So they're kind of on on target for what we would expect of them. By the way, early line, OU Kent State, OU minus 32. Which side are you taking on a Monday? I'll take the University of Oklahoma football mm-hmm. over Kent State, who's lounging around in Tulsa all week. Do you think the uh, people in Tulsa – are out there right now telling Kent State, oh, thank God you came here and not Oklahoma City. It's so much better here in Tulsa than it is in Oklahoma City. Let, let us tell you about how better Tulsa is than Oklahoma City. You made a great choice lodging here in Tulsa rather than OKC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think they've been badgered about making sure they go walk through the gathering or, or whatever it's called? The, um... <sighs> Isn't it nice just to be in green country? You ain't going to see that when you go down to Oklahoma City and Norman. It's green country up here. We got trees and everything. Uh, that's good um, by the way, one more game to hit on before we hit a break from this past weekend. With four minutes and 22 seconds left in the third quarter, the score was Nebraska 17, North Dakota 17. Inside mm. Memorial Stadium. Nebraska eventually pulled away and won by three scores, but very late in the third quarter, it was a tie football game. Man. Yeah, I remember someone telling me at the time whenever it was tied, at that point I was completely and totally convinced that Scott Frost is self-sabotaging <laughs> and he's trying to get fired before October 1st. He probably still tried to, but North Dakota was so bad that even Nebraska found a way to pull away. Couldn't get it done. Yeah. Also, actually, I lied. One more. Dude, down three with under 30 seconds left, you're inside the five-yard line. The one thing you cannot do is throw an interception. Throw the ball into the stands 
three times and kick a field goal and go into overtime. You cannot throw an interception there if you're Cam Rising in Utah. That just totally torpedoed their playoff chances, most likely. Uh, They're going to have to win out. Yeah, they're going to have to win out. Like, here's the thing. Oregon, losing like that, that torpedoes your chances. I don't care if they win out. It doesn't matter. You can't, you can't come back from a loss that big to a playoff team. To, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a clear sign that you absolutely do not belong. Utah, not so much because I'll tell you what, and you've been talking about this Florida team. They're going to be a problem for some folks this year in the SEC. With that quarterback they got. Do you see him pump fake and fake out that defender on the two-point conversion, get outside yeah. the pocket and complete it? Oh, my yeah. God. He's, he is legit. They're gonna, I, you know, I don't know what their overall record's going to be, but they're going to end up being a problem this year in the SEC. So I do agree um, that it's going to be difficult. They have to win out, but I don't think it's beyond reason that Utah can win out. Um, no, it's not. They, they better hope but Florida. What a great game. They better hope. Yeah, it was a great game. Oh my gosh, they better hope uh, Florida ends up having a really nice year because if Florida trips over and goes to a six and six, seven and five season, going to be tough for Utah. That atmosphere at the swamp. We were talking about the atmosphere at the backyard uh, brawl uh, right. on Thursday night. That atmosphere at the swamp was when they sing Tom Petty at the end of the third quarter. That is amazing. Wow. That's well, hey. Cool. That's what happens whenever you um, you have a compelling game in front of you, right? It turns into a really good atmosphere. I'm not worried. I'm not worried with with Oklahoma's atmosphere. I think it's going to be just fine. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll hit some things that caught my eye next. Stay tuned. Talking Sooner football is what we do. This is The Ref. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. We call this segment What Caught Teddy's Eye. Let's get to it. Story number one is. Well, let's start off with a uh, quick word for our friends over at Roof Tech. Josh Tucker, former teammate of mine, runs the business over there, can handle any of your roofing needs. Um, I guess the first thing that caught my eye, Tyler, was Kansas. How about Kansas? 56 to 10. When they had the defensive player of the week for the Big 12. Dang. A really nice performance. Now, remember, they they just extended Leipold right before the season. Uh, They've got West Virginia this week. They're a 13-point dog, but I don't know. We've talked about it. Their quarterback was a, a, you know, really efficient 15 of 18 on the day. Looked really good in their win. Now, they didn't beat anyone of any consequence, which is was like East Tennessee or Tennessee, Tennessee Tech, something Tech. Like that. Show a little respect yeah. here. Come on. Yeah, but still, I like we said, there's signs of life for Kansas football. Well, I'll tell you what they do have offensively. They actually have some playmakers on that side that are pretty electric. Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, is kind of a big play guy. They got old Deuce Highshaw that's from uh, up the road and more. 
that was a really good player for Moore High. They, they finally have some players that can take it to the house. It seemed like forever KU was just trying to string together 12 play drives to get in the end zone. They, they can score quick now. That's that's big for them. Um, second thing that caught my eye was Quinn Ewers' uh, debut. I guess they say it performed well, but he got his car towed and um, was tweeting about it after the game, after he spoke with reporters and everything. And I guess Sark was asked about it today at his uh, his media availability, and he said, well, he wasn't parked where he was supposed to be parked on game day. Which, by the way, Quinn Ewers has a uh, Aston Martin that he got from an NIL deal. <laughs> God. Um, but wow. now hang on here. The interesting part of this is Sarkeesian said he wasn't parked where he was supposed to be parked on game day. Now, that's interesting because if if they treat that like the NFL, where like when you play a home game in the NFL, you don't have to ride the team bus to the stadium. They do have a bus go, but most of the guys drive themselves and you've got like a like a secure parking lot where you park and you can walk in right there to the stadium before the game. Now, as far as I've ever seen, no one in college does that. Right. Maybe maybe things have changed, but typically in college, everyone stays in the hotel the night before the game and everyone rides the team bus from the hotel to the stadium together. Now, maybe he parked in the wrong place on Friday and got towed, but that sure sounds like weird, they're treating that like an NFL Saturday where you drive yourself to the stadium. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that is a really good point. I've never heard of another college football team or basketball team do it. Well, maybe basketball is different, but football, no, everyone rides to the butt. Like, that's kind of like the big point. Everyone shows they're on time. Uh, that'd be right. pretty telling, but also not surprising if that's how <laughs> right. it was going down at UT. And, and maybe that's what it was. He just parked there on Friday and got towed because that lot is different on game day. I don't know, but it was least interesting the way that, that Sark presented it. Third thing that caught my eye, Tyler, University of Southern California Trojans with a 66-14 win over Rice, including three pick sixes on defense. I uh, I love the reaction from OU fans. I've uh, kind of taken this side as well. It's, well, yeah, but, you know, Rice was moving the ball up and down there the first half. You go watch the first half. Rice is moving the football on with ease, and then, yeah, it gets out of hand there, but it got interesting there for most of the game. Always trying to justify it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I didn't get to see any of it. Just saw uh, a couple of the highlights, and it was definitely interesting that you know, first two drives of the second half for Rye started off with interceptions, returned for touchdowns, and those happened like they happened back to back. But I guess there was a couple of plays in between. But yeah, that'll pretty much ruin your hopes uh, for trying to keep it close in a football game if you have three pick sixes. And on the very next drive, 
they had two back-to-back, and then on the next drive they threw another interception. Um, so, pretty wild. Uh, all right, I got a few here. First, uh, Jeff Lebby and Ted Roof had their press conferences today. Uh, Lebby was asked for an update on Mizzou transfer Daniel Parker, who missed the opener on Saturday. Lebby said he'll let BV give the update tomorrow at 11.15 when he meets with the media. Now, I heard that it may be because he was sick. I don't know what you heard, but any scuttlebutt as to why Daniel Parker didn't play last Saturday? I have no idea. I did not hear. Was he there dressed out? I don't even remember now that uh, I, I don't we mentioned it. I, I just heard that, that, that maybe a uh, he, he was sick, and that's, that's what happened. Okay. Uh, Iowa. Yeah. One on Saturday. Congratulations yeah. to Iowa. They won 7-3, to three and you thought, oh, okay, well, they had a lone touchdown of the day. No, 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 no. They had a field goal and two safeties to win 7-3 to three over South Dakota State. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. How does that happen? How can, how can a school like Iowa, over the, the 20-some years that I've been familiar with the program, not one time, not once, Throughout that 20-plus years, have they had a legitimate difference maker at quarterback? How has that happened? Well, when you run a boring style of offense, even if you get a good special playmaker like they had with Brad Banks back in 2 when they played in the Orange Bowl, like the guys after that, it gets coached out of you. Like You're not in a system to bring out that type of player, I guess. Right. But you would think at some point you would just run into someone who's actually really good. Not the case with them. Seven to three. It was five to three at one point. Hilarious that they got another safety to turn it into what looks like a recognizable score for a football game. Um, what caught my eye? Oh, you warmed up outside on Saturday before the game, even though it was really hot, like big boys. <laughs> Unlike the Tulane game when they were told to go warm up indoors, great to see OU actually warmed up outside. And really, I thought for the you know really handled the elements well. Um, didn't look like the heat affected them all that much. Uh, it did affect the fan turnout at UCLA. UCLA had a record low, 27,143 at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, and who'd they play? They played um, They played Bowling Green. Is that who they played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They played Bowling Green. And um, they, got a, they got a punt blocked for a touchdown early in that game. But... Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know much about Bowling Green this year, but UCLA they put up I think more yards than almost anyone in Week One. They put up like six hundred and something yards of offense against Bowling Green, six twenty six. Yeah. So uh, last one I have, I didn't get to see it because I was uh, stuck in line outside the stadium, but I saw the replay of the intro video and it looked pretty awesome. Great job. You can never go wrong making the intro video about the King, about Bob Stoops, and then throwing in uh, Britt Venables in there as well. That's Very right. well done. That's right. Pretty impressive stuff. That was pretty cool. Well done. Now, the timing for the entry into the stadium or into the, the team entering onto the field was all jacked yeah, up. Did you see that? that? No. Well, no, I just said I was stuck outside. I didn't get to see the intro video, but I did hear that that was an awkward entrance. It was hilarious. So they play the intro video, and then you're supposed to see the team come running out. Well, I guess you're supposed to see the team walking down like they were doing the walkout like they used to. You remember that? Oh, yeah. With the camera. So it was just 
it cuts to that camera, and there's no one there except Toby Keith is standing there. And I think you can see that he's being recorded and no one's there. So he, like, he like kind of walks inside and put, peeks his head around, and I think he's like, hey, I think they're ready for you out there. You guys better get rolling. <laughs> Pretty funny. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. There's Reggie Grimes, who had a game of his career on Saturday, two and a half sacks and a forced fumble. He was uh, pretty fantastic. Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Johnny H. says, if Iowa State can score 10 points, they may actually beat Iowa on Saturday. And here I go again, <laughs> thinking that after what I saw from Iowa last Saturday, hey, maybe this is finally the year Iowa State can break through and beat them. I know how this goes. Iowa may only put up 14 points, but they'll still find a way to win 14 to nine. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I refuse to even consider Iowa State winning that game. I, as a pick or something, right? I, I don't know the difference between the two teams. I guess Iowa State looked pretty good uh, Saturday, but you know, it's it's at Iowa. Iowa State, no matter how good they've been, had just haven't been able to win that football game. So, I don't know. Did anyone else from the Big Twelve, um, not I guess, not surprise you? But you know, just you said, hey, that's the they look pretty sharp week one. I don't think Colorado's very good at all. I actually think Colorado's a bad team that doesn't have a great head coach. But still, that atmosphere at Folsom Field Friday night. It looked like there was about 53,000 drunk college kids <laughs> that, right. at that place. And TCU rolled over CU pretty easily. Chandler Morris's numbers weren't fantastic. He was just 13-20 to 20 for 111 yards. But you got to give some credit to TCU for going out on the road in week one and handling CU like they did. Was that, at, was that, um, was that elevation an issue the one time you played there or not that big of a deal? I didn't remember it. I didn't even think about it the, whenever I was out there. And I, I think maybe they mentioned it some, but I don't, I, I don't remember it being a factor. Doesn't mean that it wasn't, but I don't remember it being one. Schmitty built. Schmitty get, gets his guys in such great shape they can play a mile up and they don't even notice. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting, though. TCU ran the football 275 yards on Colorado. Um now, we know they're going to be like an air raid style of team, that Sonny Dyke system. But, yeah, the Chandler Morris only threw it 20 times. He was 13 of 20, and uh, they ran it 30 for 275. That's a 9.2 average. That's pretty dadgum good. I think they had a punt return for a touchdown, too. They, they've got some playmakers, man. We know what Quentin Johnston brings, but they've got some electric dudes. Yeah, they It'll have another right. returner named – Darius. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. All right, quick timeout. We got the final hour of the rush coming up next here from Newcastle Casino.